This past summer, I had a weekend where I wasn't speaking, and so I went to a campus with my family, and I got done afterwards. I got in the car. I turned to my wife, Sarah, and I said, I love this church, and I really do. I love the mission. I love the values. I love the beliefs. Most importantly, I love the people, and so we wanted to take a moment to ask God, what are you, where are you leading our church this next year? What is God's vision for our church over the course of this next year? year, and, and you may be a person like me who loves this church, and you're an owner in this church, and so you're excited to hear about that. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're new to church, or newer, or you don't necessarily consider yourself an owner, and that's okay. But I would love the opportunity to try to fire you up for how God wants to use your life in this church, because here's what I believe with all of my heart. We can do more together than we can apart. You can accomplish more. You can make a greater impact in this world with each other than we can individually. Jesus Christ is the only one who can change a human heart. Politicians can invoke legislation. They can change policies. Schools can educate young minds. Sports teams can teach about hard work and character. All of them have an immense value to society. But Jesus Christ himself said these words. He says, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against it. The church is the only institution or organization that is going to prevail against the gates of hell. If there is hope for our nation and for our world, then the church is going to be on the front lines. And you might think, well, when I come to church, I'm, I'm sort of just going to a building. I'm listening to a message. But when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. He wasn't just talking about the building. He was talking about the people. The people like you and me who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. He says, it's you, the church, that the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against which means that God wants to use your life to make an impact through your church. So today I want to share with you three reasons why I love this church. And as I do, I'm, I'm hoping that you will kind of catch the vision for how God can use your life in this place. Here's the first reason why I love this church, and it's this. We have the courage to take risks. saw a quote from a movie. The movie was, We Bought a Zoo. And I haven't seen the movie. I heard it was okay. But here is the quote, and I love this. Sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. That is so true. It took 20 seconds of insane courage for the disciple of Jesus, Peter, to step out of the boat and begin to walk on water. 20 seconds of insane courage. It took 20 seconds of insane courage. For a shepherd named David to pick up a slingshot and go out to fight a giant named Goliath. Takes 20 seconds of insane courage for you to confess a sin that you've kept hidden from your family. 20 seconds of insane courage would lead you to that freedom. Takes 20 seconds of insane courage to ask a person out. To be a part of starting a church, to give your life to Jesus Christ, it would take 20 seconds of insane courage to ask for help and to check into treatment. Just 20 seconds of insane courage. 
In 1 Samuel 14, verse 2, it says there was a man named King Saul, and he was sitting on the outskirts of a town called Gilbia underneath a pomegranate tree. And while he was doing that, his son Jonathan had 20 seconds of insane courage. Let me just kind of set the context here for you. The Philistines were the enemies of Israel. And they had assembled on Israel's western border, kind of threatening to invade. And so the Israelite army came out to meet them. And now it was a standoff. And while they were in a standoff, King Saul was resting in the shade under the pomegranate tree. And his son Jonathan turned to his armor bearer. And he said, hey, what if we went over to the Philistine side? Almost like, hey, let's just have a little fun here. Let's do something a little crazy. And here's what his armor bearer said back to him. He said, do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. I love this phrase, heart and soul. Do you have someone in your life who's with you, heart and soul? If you're married, you are not enemies. You are on the same team. You are to be with each other, heart and soul. If you have a parent who has just always been there for you and they support you and they love you and they're with you heart and soul. If you have a friend that you can call at two o'clock in the morning, no matter what's happening in your life, what a gift. What a gift to have someone who's with you heart and soul. I'm not sure the armor bearer would have said, I'm with you heart and soul if he had known what Jonathan's plan was. Here's what Jonathan said in his plan. He said, come. We will cross over to them and we will let them see us. And then he goes on and he says, after he says, come over, we will let them see us. He says this, we will stay where we, he says, if they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, We will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. That's the plan. Wait a minute, wait. The armor bearer's like, hold on a second. Let me me get this straight. The plan is we're going to go and show ourselves to the enemy. And when they see us, what we do next is dependent upon what they say to us. That's the plan. And so they are going to go and show themselves, and then what they do next is kind of like, well, we'll just, who knows? And so then right before they leave, here's what Jonathan says to his armor bearer. He says this, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. I don't know. We, We might die. It could all go really badly. But perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. And that's exactly what the Lord did. When the Philistines saw Jonathan and his armor bearer, they said, hey, come on over. And that was the sign that the Lord had given them victory. And as Jonathan and his armor bearer made their way over to the Philistine side, the Philistine army got spooked. They thought all of Israel was coming, and so they started to retreat. And when the Israel army saw them retreating, they went after and they won a great victory. In fact, it said, so that day the Lord saved Israel all because of one man who had 20 seconds of insane courage. The history of Eaglebrook Church is filled with 
perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf moments. In 2006, we reopened our White Bear Lake campus and we were going to show the message on video. And at the time in 2006, there was people going, no one's going to come to that. No one is going to go watch the message on video. But we thought perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. In 2007, when we took over a struggling Baptist church in Spring Lake Park, Minnesota, we thought perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. In 2014, when we spent millions of dollars to build a building in Woodbury, we had no idea that on some weekends it would be our biggest campus. But we thought perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. When we opened Minneapolis a couple of months ago, we had a board member who said, this is the biggest risk we have taken since the Lionel Lakes campus, but we thought perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. That's when God shows up in your life. Here's what you need to know about our church. We are going to continue to try to expand and reach more people for Christ. And here's why. Because heaven and hell are real. We don't often live that way. We kind of go through our life and we're in a little bit of a haze. We know we're going to die. We know people die, but we kind of go through life and we're like, well, it's not going to be today. But Jesus speaks very clearly about this. Jesus speaks of heaven. He speaks of hell. Heaven and hell are real. The love, the peace, the joy that Jesus Christ offers to every human being, it's real. And so for our 50, 70, 90 years that we have on earth, we can't sit in the shade under the pomegranate tree. We have to be willing to take risks and say, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Here's the second thing I love about our church, and it's this. We're not afraid to look foolish. Faith, in part, is a willingness to look foolish. Noah looked foolish building an ark in the desert. There's a lot of sand around here. There's not a lot of rain. You look kind of foolish. Sarah, the wife of Abraham in the book of Genesis, she looked foolish buying maternity clothes at the age of 90. I mean, I'm not 90, but I don't think you're buying maternity clothes. You're buying Depends. You're buying other kinds of things. I don't know what you're buying. But you're not buying maternity clothes. You look foolish. This little shepherd boy, David, looked foolish when he pushed his older brothers to the side and said, let me go take on this giant Goliath holding a slingshot. Peter looked foolish stepping out of the boat, walking on water to Jesus. And Jesus looked foolish, hanging naked on the cross. But the results speak for themselves. His author Mark Batterson says, if you are not willing to look foolish, then you are foolish. And it's this unwillingness to look foolish that's the reason that most people never do things like build arcs, walk on water, or defeat the giants in their life. A couple months ago, I was working out, and I was kind of in this side room just stretching, and this trainer came in, and he said, I, I'm teaching a class in here if I need you to leave, and, and, and right as he kind of said that, he looked at me, he goes, oh, Jason, Eagle Brook Church, and so we talked for a little bit. I said, enjoy your class, and as I was walking out, I could kind of hear him over my shoulder, 
And he turned to the woman who was in his class and he goes, that's the senior pastor at Eagle Brook Church. And she said, oh. <laughs> she was not impressed. And I actually giggled because she said it in such a Debbie Downer voice. She was like, oh. And the trainer was not deterred at all with the most enthusiasm that he could muster. He said, do you have a church that you go to? And I was so proud of him. Because most of us, myself included, we get nervous to ask questions like that. Because we're afraid of looking foolish. We're afraid the person's not going to like us, or they're going to think we're really religious, or that was kind of strange, or whatever it is. But we're afraid of looking foolish. What's the worst that could happen? She could say, no. What's the best that could happen? She could come and she could meet Jesus Christ. Part of the reason why I think many of us tend to get a little nervous talking to people about God is because we live in a culture that at least seems to be increasingly hostile to biblical truth. Not all biblical truth. I mean, do not judge, love people. Those are still really popular verses. But the Bible's teaching on male, female, sexual ethics, sexual morality, that looks foolish to many people. The Bible's teaching on judgment and hell. There's people who are like, oh, that's foolish. Even the fact that the Bible says there's a God who created the world. There are many people who look at that and go, that is just total foolishness. Here's one of the things that I love about our church. We hold the line. We love people who are spiritually seeking, spiritually trying to figure out what they believe about Jesus. We want every person to experience the grace of God. But we don't compromise the truth to do that. I don't know where culture is going to be in 10 years. I don't know what's going to be considered foolishness then. But here's what I know about our church. We are going to be faithfully speaking biblical truth in love. Let me ask you, is there something in your life right now where you've kind of started to shrink back because you didn't want to look foolish? Maybe a little ashamed of your faith or something that you believe or something that the Bible teaches. And so you're like, nah, I don't, I'm just a little feeling like I don't want to look foolish. Next weekend, we are opening a campus in Maplewood. It's here. It's next weekend. We have services at 4 on Saturday, 9 and 11 on Sunday. And here's what I know is true about you. I am guessing you know someone who lives in Roseville. You know someone who lives in St. Paul. You know someone who lives in Maplewood or Little Canada or that surrounding area. And you could invite them. And what's the worst that they would say? That no. The best that could happen, though, is they could come and their life, their marriage, their kids, their eternal destiny would be changed forever. We have a willingness to look foolish. Here's the third thing that I love about our church, and it's this. It's not about Eagle Brook Church. When I was in college, I attended Bethel University, and I was a new believer, and so I'd listen to people talk about going to church on the weekend. And I remember that there, one person said, I'm going to so-and-so's church this weekend. And so-and-so was the last name of the senior pastor of that church. And there was actually two churches at that time that people would refer to by the name of the senior pastor. So it's so-and-so's church. And it, it struck me one time, I thought, I'm not even sure I know what the name of that church is. I just know the last name of the senior pastor. And I didn't think much about this until one day I heard someone say, I'm going to Eaglebrook Church this weekend. 
And I thought, who's the senior pastor there? <laughs> never heard of him before. Never knew the name. Nobody at Bethel used to say, I'm going to Merritt's church this weekend. Bob Merritt was our senior pastor at that time. No one ever said, I'm going to Merritt's church. It's one of the things that I love about Eagle Brook. It's one of the things I respect most about Bob Merritt and many other staff members over the years. It wasn't about their name. It was about the name of Jesus Christ. It wasn't about them. It was about the church. In 1 Samuel 14, 35, it says that King Saul built an altar to the Lord. In 1 Samuel 15, 12, it says that Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. As Mark Batterson points out, somewhere between chapter 14, verse 35, and chapter 15, verse 12, Saul stopped building altars to the Lord, and he started building monuments to himself. The prophet Samuel saw that this was happening in Saul's life, that he was becoming more about himself and less about God. And so the prophet Samuel came to him and he said this, this is so good. He said, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? You know who builds monuments to themselves? People who think little of themselves. You may hear that and you're like, well, hold on a second. I don't, I don't think that's true at all. I think people who build monuments to themselves, I think they're pretty full of themselves. I think they're pretty high on themselves. Not according to the prophet Samuel. Samuel understood that pride is often a cover for insecurity. The people who feel the need to tell you about how great they're doing and all the things they've accomplished and the monuments to themselves are often struggling with an insecurity in their life. It's one of the reasons why I love to tell anybody who will listen, it's not about Eagle Brook Church. It's about Jesus Christ. He's the one who never changes. He's the one who always has been. It's about the gospel. We live in a culture that seems obsessed with celebrities and fame and, and followers. We tend to celebrate talent more than we celebrate integrity. That's backwards. Think about this. Talent depreciates over time. I mean, I, ha I hate to break this to you, but as you age, and eventually, at some point, your talent is going to begin to depreciate. So is your appearance. So is your intellect. I turned 45 last weekend. I was taking my dog for a walk. He got away, and he started running away with the leash. And so I ran after him, and I stomped on the leash to, leash to catch him. And I gave myself whiplash. <laughs> I felt this pain shooting from my neck into my back. I was like frozen. I couldn't move. Welcome to 45. I mean, it is downhill from here. It is just straight downhill. I mean, I hate to break this, but as we age, we start to lose things. We start to lose our talent and our mind and our, our appearance and all those kinds of things. But here's one thing you do not have to lose. You do not have to lose your integrity. Integrity grows over time. It takes years to build a godly reputation. But my point is, it's not about Eagle Brook Church. It's about Jesus, and Jesus himself said these words. 
He said, to whom much is given, much is required. I want you to think about that verse for just a moment. Have you been given a lot? Have I been given a lot? The Bible says that if we have food and we have clothing, that we can be content with that. We don't just have food. We have refrigerators. We have freezers. We have pantries. We have freezers in the garage because we couldn't fit it all in the freezer in the house. We don't just have clothes. We have walk-in closets. We have dressers with drawers. We have a lot. And the problem is not having a lot. The problem is not having a lot. The problem is when we're not generous with what God has given to us. The problem is not having a lot. The problem is when we don't give to the mission and the work of God in this world. Let me just share a couple headlines with you. Saw a headline this summer. It was floating around various different articles, and it said churches across Europe being repurposed for nightclubs and hotels as attendance shrinks to stunning lows. Here's a picture of a church in Belgium. Does that look like a church to you? It's not a church anymore. It's now a hotel. That's the hotel lobby. If you see a picture of the rooms, they've got these stained glass windows right by the beds. Here's another picture of a church in Belgium. It's a rock climbing wall. There's another church in Belgium that's now a nightclub. Only 10% of the people in the entire country of Belgium go to church. And you might say, well, that's not the United States. But, but I got to tell you that since COVID, my burden for the church in the United States is greater than ever. Because here's another headline for you. An article floating around this fall said this, what's behind America's great de-churching? Church attendance down 20% in the 21st century. And here's why I personally feel a burden, because our church is not down. We had almost 24,000 people in person last weekend, well over 25,000 devices. Those are among the highest in the history of our church. And then I go back to the words of Jesus Christ, who said, to whom much is given, much is required. There are two churches in the state of Minnesota right now that would potentially like to become an Eagle Brook campus. And in the case of one of them, if they don't become an Eagle Brook campus, I don't know what happens to the church. I think they probably have to sell the building, sell the land. It becomes a condo. It becomes an apartment complex. It becomes a strip mall, liquor store. I mean, I don't know what it becomes, but it is no longer going to be a church. And the question I want all of us to ask is, what responsibility do we have to share what God is doing in this place? What responsibility do each of us have to take what God has so generously given to us and use that to further his work in this world? Jesus said, if there was 100 people on the planet and there was just one who was missing, he said, I would leave the 99. I would go after that one lost person. There are thousands of people in the Midwest that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And my question is, who's going to go? Who's going to risk it? Who's going to sacrifice to reach them? Not only are there two churches in the, the state of Minnesota that would potentially want to become an Eaglebrook campus, but we have a mobile campus in Rochester right now. 
And a mobile campus, if you're not familiar with that language, means that we do not own the building, we lease it. In this case, we lease the Mayo Civic Center, which means every Sunday morning, there is a team of volunteers that arrives at about 5 a.m., and they set up the kids' spaces for when people arrive at 9 o'clock. So when their kids come to Rochester and they go, whoa, look at this kid's space. This is awesome. This is so cool. There's been a team setting that up since five in the morning. And we all go home and watch the Vikings after the 11 o'clock service. They stay and they have to tear it all down. Rochester needs a permanent location. There are thousands of people in Rochester that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what we're finding is that many of them who are far from God aren't wanting to drive back downtown on the weekend. But they would maybe come if there was a permanent location closer to them. Here's the good news. We have purchased land in Rochester. And it is a prime location in a growing area. But now we need a building. And I hope you can think bigger beyond that we're not giving to buildings. We're giving to the life change that takes place in that building. And I hope you also know that our church doesn't go into debt. So we're not taking out a loan to do it. We're going to put the shovel in the ground when we have the money to do so. But when we had a mobile site in Lakeville South High School, they had about 700 people who were attending. And when we opened a permanent campus in Apple Valley, it went up to 2,000 people overnight. Right now, there are 800 people at Rochester. And we believe if we had a permanent location, that God would reach thousands of people there. I want to show you a video. I'll share some stories of people who attend our Rochester campus and what God is doing in their life and what God has used our church to do in their life. Take a look at this. My name is Gene. Lived in Rochester most of my adult life. You know, there's a lot of things to do here in Rochester and the surrounding communities, but for me personally, having the Mayo Clinic has been an important part. Just a little over two years ago, um, my medical journey began with a heart attack. A few months after I got home and recovered from that, I had an appendicitis attack which we found that the appendix was full of cancer and began uh, the processes of chemo and radiation. My motto through all of my health journey is God's got this. And so I've lived by that. I've always believed that. And God has opened so many doors for me to start conversations with people in the lobbies and the waiting rooms, with doctors, with nurses, just been able to share my faith having the support at the church here in Rochester. It's just amazing. Every week, people ask me how they could pray for me, and I love going to church for that, even uh, during recovery. I couldn't wait to get back to the community of Eagle Brook, Rochester. I'm Shorty Lee. This is my wife, Charlie. We're from Rochester. We've been attending Eagle Brook for almost four years now. We were looking for a home church for us when we started dating, and neither of us have perfect paths, and I think that finding a church that still gives us a chance and gives us an opportunity to still make a difference is really important for both of us. One of the many reasons I like Eagle Brook is they accept me for who I am. It's a place that you go feel welcome, and so it's nice when we can 
ask friends of ours that, that don't normally belong to a church or attend a church to ask them if they'd like to join us. It feels good to bring our faith into our friends' lives and turn them on to Jesus as well. We do, we invite everyone. I mean, we have probably three rows of people now that come and one of the things that has us bringing people back is just feeling like each message somehow manages to speak to someone that we've brought, even if they are coming from a much more colorful past. In addition to attending Sunday services, we both serve as volunteers for Eagle Brook. Um, I work two Sundays a month in kids ministry as a team lead, and uh, Shorty works every Wednesday in student ministry with the middle school boys for Ground Zero. If I had the opportunity to attend Ground Zero when I was that age, I feel it could have saved a bunch of negative choices. And so it is rewarding to watch the youth grow in their faith, to know that I may have had something to do with them actually following Jesus and, and continuing to follow Jesus. It's pretty neat to watch. So my name is Tori, and I have been married to Kyle for two and a half years. We have a beautiful five-month-old baby boy. And we have a home that is centered around Jesus, and there's love here. However, for me growing up, it wasn't always like that, specifically on my father's side. When I was with him, I was in an environment of darkness. There was a lot of dysfunction. There was a lot of addiction. And it caused me to just live in chaos. I had a false narrative in my head that I wasn't enough. I was never gonna be enough. And it wasn't until I got married that I knew I needed to get help. So I found Eagle Brook through my husband. We started going and it has ignited my healing journey tenfold. I will never forget the first day I walked through the doors. It was the first time that my soul started yearning for a relationship with Jesus because that is a piece that I didn't have until I started to go to Eagle Brook. I didn't know who he was and the fact that he died for me. That's it's pretty cool. And I don't think I really fully understood that concept until I started going to this church. And um, it has been a gift that I can't even put into words. Uh, being a part of Eagle Brook, my life has been changed. The life of my family has been changed. And as much as God has transformed my personal life, I, that's what I want for all of Rochester. I want Rochester to know Jesus the way I know Jesus. And I think Eagle Brook is, is a big part of that. Rochester is, is a big community. There's lots of people here. And everybody's looking for something. 
I think my hope is for everyone to find a safe place that they can learn about God. And I want everyone to, to feel like they can walk into a church and feel like it's it's their home too, that it's, it's not for perfect people or, or people who have memorized verses. It's for people who are broken, people who are hurt. And I think that Eagle Brook can be that place for others. We have loved Rochester's campus. It has served us in more ways than I can even express. And the fact that we are now getting our own building with parking is just, it's so cool. And I'm so excited for it. And I am so grateful. And the best part is the people that fill that building and the reason why we all gather at the building. And we're just really excited. We're really excited for this new place. Well, thank you for coming out here today. This is an exciting day for our church to be out here on this piece of property. We have a purchase agreement on this property. We feel like this is the place that God has provided for us and we're trusting that uh, we're going to one day see a building on this piece of property and we're going to see God do amazing things. Here at Eagle Brook, we have a saying, and it is this, everyone has a story and every story matters to God. And as I look around here today, I see many of you whose lives have been transformed since we opened this campus four years ago. And we feel like God is doing a great thing in our city and that he's going to continue doing it as we go forward. And this building is going to be a tool. It'll be a tool that God uses to accomplish his purpose here in Rochester. God, we thank you that you are our God. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself on a cross, who died for our sins, who was buried, who rose again so that we could experience everlasting life. And we pray that as we stand on this piece of property today, that you will provide everything that is necessary for us to see a building being built, a building where we can come together as a church and not only worship and praise you, but a place where we can invite our friends and family and neighbors to come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So for what you are doing, we give you all the praise, we give you all the glory, we give you all the honor. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. Yeah, amen. Yeah, go ahead. If you choose to give today, here's what you would be giving to. You'd be giving to a permanent campus in Rochester, and then you'd be giving to allow us to be ready if an opportunity for land or something like one of these two churches that I mentioned earlier comes up. We have a goal of raising $13 million by June 30th of next year. And so as our prayer and our hope over the next four weeks that we would raise that amount of money either in gifts or in tents. Intent is, I'm not giving the money now, but I'm going to give it over the course until June 30th. Here's at this point, if you're at a campus, go ahead and take that card out that you received on the way in. You have to kind of pull back the perforated and get to this little card here that says go. And there is a box in the card. And if you're online, I'll get to you in just one moment. But there's a box in the middle of this card. And I want to invite you, as you sit here, to be asking God in your mind, God, what is the amount that you're moving in me to give? 
And if you're here with your family or you're here with your spouse or whoever it is to be asking that question together and say, God, what would you have us to give? And then take a moment and fill that out and you can drop it off as you leave at your campus today. If you are online or even if you're at a campus and you're like, well, I just think I have some more questions or a little bit easier, you can text the word REACH to 77888. We'll send you all the information about Rochester and all the questions you might have, but also give you a link to give as well. But I would love every single person to participate, no matter what the amount, to say, God, I want to be a part of this. I want you to use my life and the resources you've given me to reach other people for Christ. And maybe today you're here and you say, I'm, I'm ready to give right now. I mean, I, I feel you can do that in the lobby at your campus at the kiosk, or you can go on our website at eaglebrookchurch.com. The two questions I want each of us to ask is what responsibility do we have to use what God has given us to reach other people? And second, where else could you give that would have a greater eternal impact in people's lives? This past year at our church, 8,071 people gave their life to Christ. That's just in one year, 8,071 people in this church said, I am beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we were thinking, how, what would be a visual that would help people understand how significant that is? And we thought as the year was going along, well, if you started in your car in New York City and you started driving out to Los Angeles, if we were to put a person from Eagle Brook at every mile marker who had given their life to Jesus Christ, and so as you're driving from New York to Los Angeles, at every mile marker, there's another person going, thank you. Thank you, because of your generosity, my life has been transformed by Jesus Christ. And just imagine every mile marker from New York to Los Angeles, there's another person. But as the year kept going on and people kept responding to the message of Jesus, that number grew. And so we thought you wouldn't just have to drive from New York to Los Angeles. After you drove from New York to Los Angeles, you'd have to drive from Los Angeles to Seattle. And there would be a person at every mile marker saying, my marriage has changed, my family has changed, thank you. But that still wouldn't be enough. You'd have to drive from Seattle back across the country to Orlando, Florida. And at every mile marker, from New York to Los Angeles, from Los Angeles to Seattle, from Seattle to Orlando, there'd be another person from our church last year who said, I now have the eternal hope through faith in Jesus Christ, thank you for your generosity. And that still wouldn't be enough. You'd have to drive from Orlando to Rochester, Minnesota, Rochester, Minnesota to Dallas, and back up to Rochester again. And at every single mile marker, there would be a person who had given their life to Jesus Christ at our church over the course of this last year. Where else could you give that would make an impact like that? Let's pray together as we close. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the ways that you've worked through the people of this church. When I hear the woman Tori from Rochester saying that prior to this church, I, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't, I didn't know that he had died for me. It just does something to my heart, God. I want every single person on this planet to have that story. To know you, to know your love, to know your peace, to know your purpose. 
And God, I believe that you wanna use the people of this church to do just that. So God, right now, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us about a number and a way that we can contribute and the way we can give and use the resources that you have given to us, God, to reach people for Christ and make an impact in this world for all of eternity? God, I pray that you'd speak to each person here online, each family, each couple, because God, we wanna be a part of what you're doing. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, next weekend we open Maplewood. We are also starting a series called Burn the Ships. Some of us have a past that's affecting your present. You need to burn that ship to move into God's future. It's gonna be a great series. We'll see you then.